I'm going to start this morning uh, with something that may not be advisable. I'm going to share one of my most embarrassing moments uh, with you this morning. And actually, uh, it's from high school, which Tim, I realized last week, Tim shared uh, a story from his high school experience. So it's kind of fun. Uh, back to back, you get a little uh, window into your pastors. But uh, it, in senior year of high school, second, uh, actually, I think it was the first basketball game of the season, and I, I played basketball throughout high school. Uh, I wasn't bad, I wasn't great, uh, but, I, but I played enough that I was pretty comfortable on our home court uh, in front of so many people, except for uh, this one night. Uh, but it was, it was about midway through the second quarter, um, and I, I got poked in the eye, and usually, you know, basketball is pretty physical, it's not usually a big deal, uh, but unless you wear contacts, and then that is a big deal. So I lose my contact in my right eye, uh, and I have just terrible eyesight. I mean, it's, uh, I think I'm legally blind without contacts. Um, and so when you lose one contact, like you, like this is a problem. Depth perception becomes a real issue. You can't tell how far anything is away from you, uh, including a basketball. Uh, so I, I motion to my coach and say, hey, I need to get out. Uh, and he pulls me and I see my mom like across the way. She gets up and runs out. She's, you know, she's like, the, I'm the only person on the floor that she's really watching. And so she, she knows like there's a problem. I need to go grab uh, contact. And so I think, you know, there's two minutes till halftime. This is great. I'm fine. She's going to get me a new contact. Well, uh, a starter gets his third foul and coach motions to me and says, I need you to get in the game. And, I, you know, I say, as respectfully as you do to a coach, like that's, this is not a good decision. Like, I can't see. He said, no, it's two minutes. You're going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I come in. We're on defense. It's fine. You know, no one's trying to throw me the ball uh, until we make a stop. And now we're on a fast break. And I actually, uh, this is a miracle in and of itself, but I am out front on the fast break. I'm out ahead of everybody else. And uh, our point guard's running the break. And this is a guy that loves, you know, he loves to throw kind of those one-handed no-look passes, which are really pretty unless you can't see anything. Uh, and so, I, you know, before I knew what was coming, I mean, I, I could just catch it out of the corner of my good eye, and, uh, and I couldn't even get my hands up in time, just bam, right in the side of the face with a basketball. Hard, no-look, one-handed pass. And the worst thing about it was uh, to hear, I mean, audibly, the crowd go, Oh, I mean, it was just, and you know, because the thing is, they don't know that I don't have a contact. Like, there's no way that they can tell that I can't see anything. So to them, you know, this is just a, just a goober getting hit in the side of the face with a basketball. Uh, and it was probably one of the most, I've never felt more exposed in front of so many people in my entire life. It was one of my most embarrassing moments. I just wanted to run and hide. I could not get into the locker room fast enough and get a new contact. Uh, and it's fun to laugh. It's fun to laugh at embarrassing moments. I mean, we've all had them, embarrassing moments kind of like this. Uh, but sometimes those moments um, aren't as lighthearted. These moments that make us want to run and hide, they're not as lighthearted as getting hit in the face uh, with a no-look pass in a high school basketball game. Uh, as embarrassing as that was, there are much bigger reasons to hide. And sometimes our reasons for hiding are, are far more personal, they're far deeper, uh, they're more painful, and far more shameful. And I know that's true for me. I mean, this is, my most, this is one of my most embarrassing moments. I have no problem getting up and sharing uh, with you. But uh, some of my, my most shameful moments, I, uh, I will not uncover before you uh, up here. And you should be thankful for that. Those are things that I want to keep hidden, keep covered. And my hunch is this is true 
for just about everybody here to this morning. When it comes to some of the things we've said, some of the things we've done, some of the things we've thought, we just assume have those things stay covered and stay hidden. We all need a place to hide, and that's the central message of our text this morning. Psalm 32 tells us, it shows us, we all need a place to hide. The problem is, and this is a picture, again, in the psalm, is that often we try to hide in the wrong places. We find our hiding places. We end up hiding in places that actually hurt us. Uh, Instead of finding places of security and rest, places where we can be fully known, uh, our hiding actually ends up tearing us apart. It eats us alive, uh, dries us out like the summer sun, like we heard in the text. Uh, But we're offered so much more in prayer, and this text shows us a better way, shows us a better way to hide. It's a beautiful poem, this song of David that shows us how to pray by teaching us how to find the right hiding place. So we've been walking through the Psalms. We're in the middle of a series called Are You Listening? Learning about how to listen to God and respond to him in prayer, right? God's spoken to us in his word, and, our, and prayer is our answer to him. So last week, Tim talked about a rhythm of prayer, these evening and morning prayers, finding rest in the evening and finding grace in the morning. And he also mentioned two elements of prayer, two aspects, two prayers that we often leave out of our prayer rhythm, adoration and confession. So as promised last week, we're going to talk about confession this morning, the prayer of confession. And we need this rhythm in our life because we need to learn how to uncover our sin. We often hide our sin, and we need to learn. Psalm 32 shows us how to hide in confession. Specifically, we'll see three things about hiding. That's kind of the big metaphor we're talking about this morning is hiding. We'll see three things in particular. One, the pain of hiding. The comfort of hiding, second, and the joy of hiding, third. So the pain of hiding, the comfort of hiding, and the joy of hiding. So we'll jump in. Psalm 32, uh, verses 1 and 2 brings out, first, the pain of hiding our sin. And the psalm begins, this confession song begins with a picture of the good life in verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So the psalmist begins really with a a statement about this is what it, this is the good life, this is the blessed life, this is the happy life. It's the forgiven life. The happy life is the forgiven life. And he begins with painting a picture of what could be, what can be, on the other side of confession. But to talk about confession, we need to start actually where the psalmist's experience begins, which is in verse 3. And it's a terrible place to be. Uh, Just just feel this. Tim read it uh, just a moment ago, but I'm going to reread it and feel it um, as I reread this. Verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I don't know about you, but I feel the pain when I read through that slowly. And everything is heavy. There's, there's, a, there's physical language in this text, right? Physical, emotional, and spiritual burden that the psalmist is bearing. Like someone who's gone through life with a heavy burden on their shoulders. His bones is wasting, are wasting away. 
day and night, day and night. There's a constant weight that he's bearing. He feels the weight, the hand of God, which is a reminder that this life is not the way it's supposed to be. And actually uses this language of being, his, his strength being dried up is by the heat of summer, which uh, we can feel today, right? It's like every day is a hot, humid I mean, it's September 6th. It should not be this hot uh, today. But every day is like a, a hot, humid, heavy Kansas City summer. Year-round. And that, t- that sounds terrible to me. That's the image of what the psalmist is experiencing here. Heaviness, pain, groaning, heat exhaustion. I know this feeling well. And maybe, maybe you do too, right? The pit, the pit in your stomach, the fatigue of sleepless nights, the toll of stress on the body. The psalmist is in bad shape. And while we don't know exactly what's going on here, uh, we do know that, so, that David is the one who wrote it. Some think he's recounting the encounter, the episode with Bathsheba, where he sleeps with another man's wife and then kills the man to cover it up. Uh, that could be the reference here, but it's not clear. What is clear is, that, is the description of what David is hiding, and that is his sin. David's hiding his sin. And he uses three distinct words for sin in the, in the original language in the Hebrew that, that are translated into English as transgression, sin, and iniquity. Uh, the, and we notice those in the first two verses, right? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose iniquity is not counted against him. They're very precise words for sin in the Hebrew language. And they have, they have distinct meanings. Transgression is like this rebellion, an outright rebellion against God. When you know something's wrong and you do it, Anyway, sin is a, a more general term. It's a falling short of law. It's an, it's an offense or a turning away from the right path. And iniquity is, is just this sense of perversion or corruption or brokenness. Crookedness, even, is a, good, is a good word. And what's clear is this, that for David, for the psalmist here, sin is a very big deal. He uses three different words to talk about his brokenness. His main problem as a human. But it's not just in Psalm 32, it's not just that we do bad things. It's not just that we sin. Uh, it's we miss what keeps us away from the happy life from verses that's described in verses 1 and 2. Is our obsession to bear this sin, to bear our guilt and shame ourselves. To try to cover up our sin and shame, to bear it ourselves, to cover it and keep it hidden. Or to pretend it isn't there and try to go on with life like, there, like there's nothing wrong with us. And it's been our main problem from the very beginning. Uh, the story of Adam, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Genesis 3. Like our first parents, we, we tend to hide when we sin. So natural for us to do what they did, right? If anyone knew the good life, it was Adam and Eve. They, they had the perfect job, a perfect spouse, a perfect relationship with God, but when they disobeyed God and took the fruit, everything changed, right? They saw their nakedness and they hid. They heard God's voice and they felt fear. So they hid their sin from God. And it's natural for us to do the same. It may not be always big things that we hide from God, but we constantly want to run and hide. Some of you don't want to tell anyone that you drove through McDonald's this week and got a Big Mac. I mean, it's, it's something simple like that, right? We do these things and we know, we laugh even at that because we know we want to hide these little things. We condition ourselves to hide. If you let yourself make a pattern 
out of hiding, you'll find yourself doing it more and more. You'll hide things from your parents, kids. You hide things from your boss. You hide things from your spouse. This recent news around the Ashley Madison website is, is all the warning we need about the danger of hiding. And this is a miserable life. If anything is clear from verses 3 and 4, it's that trying to con- constantly cover our guilt and our shame before God and before others is a terrible life. It's not the good life. And we're tempted to think that hiding our sin is going to be the best way forward, right? Some of you may be thinking, even right now, but Andrew, if you knew, like if you knew what I had thought or what I've done, you would choose to hide it too. And that's a very real concern. The, the consequences of sin are real. But David's clear here. The consequences of hiding sin are far more disastrous. Uh, a well-known pastor recently sent out um, this tweet reflecting on his, on his affair and subsequent divorce. And I think it captures well this, the idea of how buried sin can just make things worse and worse. He says, while trying to find someone or something outside of me to blame for my sin seemed to promise freedom, it only delivered deeper slavery. And as a fellow pastor, the warning for me is clear. The, the, the consequences of, of hiding sin can be disastrous. We're tempted to believe the false promise that hiding our guilt, our sin, our shame is going to be the good life. That we tell ourselves that uh, if people think my life is good, life will be good. Or we think that nothing could be worse than the cost of confessing our sin, not even the pain of hiding it. But I can tell you right now, that is not true. I know from personal experience that hiding sin is not the good life. There's something much, much better. I've tried to hide my sin from God, which is a futile exercise, right? God knows the deepest depths of my wretched heart, but I come before him and I try to act like everything's fine, like I'm, I'm fine. I cover my guilt, my shame, because I don't want to admit, I don't want to admit to him or to myself what we both know to be true about my heart, about my mind. I hide my sin from people that, that love me, that want my best, from people who have actually committed to keep me accountable in the right way, people who are committed to me, including my wife, the one person in this entire world who has pledged their life to me for my good, who wants to know me completely and fully, I've tried to hide from her. And I will tell you, that is miserable. It's the opposite of the good life. Hiding sin from your spouse is anything but good. And some of you are experiencing this kind of pain right now, this kind of sorrow, the pain of hiding your sin. There's sin in your life that's eating you alive. And here's a question that's been... uh, heavy in my soul this week is what are you hiding from God? What sin are you hiding from God? What are you hiding from yourself? It's easy to do that. It's easier than you would think to do that. To try to convince yourself you're fine. There's nothing here that that I'm trying to cover. There's nothing hidden. But what are you trying to hide from God? 
do some diagnostic work right now, I mean, in asking these questions. How, how is that, if you're doing this, how is that affecting you, your body, your soul, your spirit? Are you experiencing verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32? Your bones wasting away, feeling the weight and burden of your sin. We can't hide from God without it sapping our strength, without it stealing our joy. So let go of that pain. (laughs) Confess your sin, let go of it, and enter into a new hiding place, the right hiding place. And that's what the psalmist does in verse 5. He shows us the way, the way to discover the comfort of hiding in God. He lets go of the pain of hiding his sin, and he enters in the comfort of hiding in God. He confesses the sin that weighs him down, and, he, and it brings him out of his painful hiding. He brings it out into the open, and he lets it go. That's confession. He admitted that he was a human with a sin problem. I mean, look at, look at verse 5. This is, this is his experience. Right? He's felt this sin, the weight of his sin, and he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity, the sinfulness of my sin. Now, the same three words that are used in verses 1 and 2 are, are repeated here, and I just couldn't help. I mean, it's, he's precise, right? He's thorough in his confession. I've confessed my transgressions. I've admitted my, my guilt, my sin, and you you forgave. You forgave. What a beautiful little phrase, right? My outright rebellion, my falling short of God's law, my sinful, wretched heart are forgiven. It's covered. I'm acquitted. This is, this is pure grace. This is the good news of the gospel right here in Psalm 32. See, sin is very real and very dangerous. You and I do things that have deep consequences. That's a truth that the gospel does not deny. You and I are more sinful than we dare to think, than we dare to even admit. And we have to stop hiding that. We have to stop hiding that. That's a miserable life. That's, that's the pain of verses 3 and 4. But the gospel points us to Jesus He came to rescue us from that sin and guilt that weigh us down. As the most perfect human ever, he showed us what it is like to live the good life. And God himself, he's paid that price that makes it possible for us to be freed from sin. He literally bore the weight of our sin, of the sin of the entire world on his shoulders so that we wouldn't have to, so that we no longer have to walk around as those whose bones are wasting away. And that's how, much, that's how much we are loved. Right? We are more sinful than we dare to admit, but we are also far more loved than we could ever hope to be. And we should stop hiding that fact, too. We'll never be open about our sin, friends, if, if we only see the depth of our sin. We also must see the greater depth of God's love and forgiveness in Christ. And I talked about my propensity to hide earlier, and I should also say something about forgiveness, too. 
I mean, never, never have I experienced God's grace and forgiveness more tangibly, more deeply, more personally than when I've come to Beth, confessed to her, and said, this is, I've been wrong. This is what I've done. And to hear her say to me, the, the one person in the world that loves me more than anyone else, to hear her say, I forgive you. That's the experience of God's love and forgiveness in Christ. It's not easy, right? Sin breaks, breaks the hearts of those we love. It breaks God's heart. It's not easy to confess our sin. But the pain of hiding is far more destructive. And the only way we can ever become close to those we love and close to God in intimacy is to be vulnerable. That's where the good life is found, in confession and forgiveness and repentance of turning away from our sin and turning toward God in Christ. And in that moment, when I hear her or others say, I forgive you, the deepest longings of my heart are met at that moment, right? To be fully known and fully loved. And Tim, Tim Keller has said it really beautifully. He captures what I think are some of the deepest longings of our heart. He says, to be loved but not known. So to be loved but not known, not your, your junk is not uncovered. You act like life is good. To be known or be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved, well, that's our greatest fear. That's what keeps us from confession. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, a lot like, that's a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything in this world. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any, any difficulty life can throw at us. That right there, being fully known and fully loved, that's, that's what it means to, to hide in the comfort of God, to find comfort in God as our hiding place. We can be known and loved. You can find constant refuge from shame and guilt and sin and the weight that holds that gives, makes your life miserable. And look at how the psalmist puts it. He says uh, in verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So David invites, even exhorts others to join him in the comfort of this hiding place, of his, his hiding place. Let everyone who is godly confess their sin. Find refuge in God. And my question for you this morning is, have you experienced this, the comfort of this hiding place? Psalm 32 offers us a better place to hide in God. He, as the psalmist puts it, he is your hiding place. You can find preservation from trouble Shouts of deliverance, right? These are war, it's war language. And David, the warrior king, uh, that language is quickly on his tongue, right? There's only one who can run around the camp and say, victory, it's finished. And only God in Christ can do that. So you, have you felt the power of forgiveness from sin, this, the comfort of this hiding place in God? And if you haven't, I want to encourage you this morning, uh, ask for it. Confess your sin before God and find comfort in him as your hiding place. 
That's my prayer for all of us, that we would find comfort in God. But not just comfort uh, there, there's also a deep and lasting joy that we do this together. And that's our third point this morning, the joy of hiding with others. The joy of hiding with others. Look back at verse 6. David's charge in the psalm is, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer. And for David in in the psalm, the godly are not the sinless people. They're the forgiven people. That's the good life. It's godly are not uh, perfect people. They're forgiven people. It says, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer. And we, we started by framing this psalm as a prayer, right? As a, a rhythm that we need because uh, we, we so often tend to hide. We need this rhythm in our prayer life. And like all the psalms, one, one of the functions of this poem is to teach us to pray. So I want to suggest three things with this third point. The joy of hiding with others. Let me suggest three things that come out of this prayer. Um, as kind of practical takeaways from this morning. First, and this one's going to seem pretty obvious, um, confess your sins. Uh, include confession in your rhythm of prayer. And some of you have heard the acronym uh, ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. That's a really good model, in my mind at least, of, of what our prayer, sh- prayer life should look like. And confession is one of those things that should be a regular part of our sin because we regularly struggle with sin. It's not like we confess our sins one time and that's it, right? We regularly struggle to hide. And so bring your sin before God in confession regularly. And one of the places that I would, that I would suggest to do this, and my Bible uh, just kind of flops open to this page, is uh, pray through Psalm 51 as a prayer of confession. If you're struggling with language for how to come before God and say, look, God, I'm a, I sin. Uh, here's my sin. I need forgiveness. Go to Psalm 51. It's a beautiful picture of confession. And some of you this morning have never brought your sin to, to God in confession. And I would encourage you uh, that, to do that this morning. You didn't know that you could be fully known and fully loved in God. Some of you are bearing burdens from your past or in your presence, present. So I'd encourage you, confess your sin this morning and make it a daily part of your prayer life. Second, find others to be open with about your sin. Don't just stop hiding from God. Stop hiding from others. And this takes, this is sensitive. Uh, be wise, but be brave in how you find people to confess your sin to. And one of the interesting things about this text, uh, it you know, it's hard to see in the English, but there's, There's plural language all throughout it. This is meant to be a communal prayer, something that we pray together as a community. We are meant to be a people who find the comfort of God's hiding place together. So we're going to do that in a few moments. We're going to practice a prayer of corporate confession together. And that'll be really our third, this third takeaway this morning, which is share in the joy of being forgiven, right? We confess together and then we move with this psalm to where it ends in verses 10 through 11, which is an eruption of praise. The psalmist can't help but get to the end of this psalm and just erupt in joy for what God has done in forgiveness of sin. Yes, the pain of hiding sin in verses 3 and 4 is real and deep. And yet knowing what Christ has done for us, we should be erupting in joy uh, this morning. So, Share in the joy of being forgiven together. And look at verses 10 through 11. 
It says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. There's nothing better than being forgiven in this life. And that's why we gather together as a church, right, to remind ourselves that we can leave behind the pain of hiding our sin. We can seek the comfort of hiding in God. And we can do that together. So we're going to end this time this morning with a a prayer of corporate confession, a responsive reading where we join together in confessing our sin before a holy God as a people who need a better hiding place. And throughout the history of church, uh, the church, Christians have been doing this together. And Nate's going to lead us in a moment. I encourage you to engage your heart and mind in this time. As we confess as as a community of broken people that we need a better hiding place. We need to find our comfort in God. So I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to recite this prayer together and confess uh, together that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Let's pray.